The scripture this morning is Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. You may find this, if you'd like to follow along, on page 196 in your pew Bible. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you, because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because you hold me and your heart, for all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness How I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. I have a few things I want to uh, accomplish in the few minutes that we have this morning. One is to give us a little more background on the Philippian letter that Paul has written that we've we've been studying the past few weeks that uh, Chad will uh, share with you next week. It is a... um, Perhaps in the New Testament, if you ask people, what is your favorite book of the New Testament, Philippians would be right up there. Uh, Paul 18 times says the word joy or rejoice. Uh, This is not a theological treatise. He hasn't written Philippians to present to the Board of Ordained Ministry so he can be ordained as a preacher. He has written a letter of love, a love letter to the Philippian church. And his, his deepest desire is that they would... Number one, experience joy. That's clear. That is the theme of the letter. But the other is that they would have the mind of Christ. That they would would seek, that they would push on to that, uh, that fulfillment of the Spirit in their lives to where you could not distinguish between their mind and the mind of Jesus Christ. So that on the day of His appearing, which He mentions four times in the letter, the day of His appearing, that they might bring forth... Uh, a, the fruit of righteousness to be presented to God. A fruit that came not about by their own, uh, own labors, but because of Jesus Christ working within them. The fruit of righteousness, Paul says. In Galatians, he also makes that famous list, Galatians 5.22. You probably learned the song when you were a kid, or you taught the song as a Sunday school teacher to kids, or in vacation Bible school. But uh, uh, the gifts of the Spirit are uh, love, joy, peace, and, and, you, and you repeat those, all eight of them. And so we've had a tendency sometimes to take 
those, the fruit of the Spirit. It's a singular word there, by the way. It's not the fruits. But in the Scriptures, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love. And, and it's a unified uh, sense that you really don't separate these things out. If you have the fruit of the Spirit in your lives, you are going to demonstrate all eight of those characteristics. And the overwhelming one is the first one that's listed in Galatians 5.22, and that's love. You know, uh, our bodies are 80% what? Water, okay. Uh, 80% water. The, the world is covered, 70% of the earth is covered by water. Water is essential to life. Now, you could take a piece of fruit, and you can, you can have dried uh, oranges, mandarins. You can, you can have dried slices of these things where they've taken the water out of it. And that's fine. You know, you still have nutrition in there, right? It still benefits your body. But the one thing that it can't do, that a fruit that is juicy and filled with water, which is the main ingredient of any fruit, the one thing that it will not do is sustain your life. You see, you could live a few days off of a dried fruit, but you would quickly die without the moisture, the water within it. And I was thinking this week that in the same way, that if you could have outwardly these characteristics of the Spirit, you could have uh, people say, what a loving person. Oh, they seem happy all the time. They, ha- they have joy. Uh, they-, they have peace. They're long-suffering. They're patient. But it is the love that takes it and lifts it up into Christian love and joy and peace. It is the love of God that distinguishes it from anybody in this world apart from God who can develop a sense of love and joy and peace and long-suffering and patience and so forth. And so all of this begins with the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's not just a list of things to say, today I'm going to work on love and I'm going to go out and I'm going to love people as much as I can out of my own resources. Without that love, the water, the moisture that, that goes into our hearts and brings it alive, you can't really experience that. And so Paul encourages in this first chapter for people to present the fruit of righteousness. Now that's not in our list. In Galatians 5, righteousness. But that's very important to Paul, and we can't lose sight of that. And even amidst his, 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 some of these wonderful, very positive sayings, he will contrast those very positive things with the works of the flesh, with sin. He says, these don't have any part of this. But instead, live in the Spirit and let the Spirit develop within you these characteristics of the Spirit and bear fruit and bear righteousness for the kingdom of God. And so uh, uh, I said I was going to share a little bit about Philippi because I think it's, it's important, the city that Paul writes to, the church that he writes to. This is the very first church, not only in Greece, it is the first church in Europe, in what we consider Europe. Today, So this was an early uh, church, the first church outside of, of that area of, of Asia, of the Middle East, uh, that he had started in. It was the first church in Europe that Paul had established. It was a very Roman church, but the people spoke Greek, so it was a, a mix of folks. The, the city was about 400 years old, uh, had been the site of some uh, 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 very important battles in Roman history. Uh, and, and had, 
had a reputation as a place where religion was synchronistic, which meant that, okay, we'll take a little bit of the Roman religion, a little bit of the Greek religion, and because we're on a main road here, whatever other religions happen to pass through here, we'll adapt them into each other. That's called uh, synchronism. Synchronism is very common in our world today, where we take Christianity and we combine it with our cultural beliefs. We, 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 sometimes we talk about having a national religion. We kind of throw it all in together. Uh, there are people out there whose religion is, is a mix of a lot of different things. A lot of people have, have been so uh, uh, desirous of, uh, of, of bringing religions together, bringing everybody unified, that very often what happens is they bring it all together and mix it all up. And then they have to do a little compromise here and there and, and, uh, and leave some things out to where in the end the religion can't be recognized. And that's what happens with Christianity sometimes when it goes into a country, into a culture. It can be, it can be watered down to the point you don't recognize. Uh, well, we don't want to offend people, so we don't, we're not going to talk about sin. We don't want to talk about something as barbaric as an execution of God, so we're going to leave that out. The idea of, of shed blood, the idea of holy communion, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, all those things may offend people, we'll leave them out. And uh, so that was what Paul faced in Philippi. And in Philippi, he went around looking for a synagogue to worship in. Remember, in that time, he was still Jewish. He was a Jewish Christian. And the Christians very often would worship in the synagogues. But in Philippi, there weren't enough Jewish men to establish a synagogue. So here's what's interesting. So he's going around looking, and he wanders down by the river, because sometimes people would go by the rivers on the Sabbath, to pray. And who does he find there? A group of women. Women who are not Jewish by birth, but believe in the God of the Jews. They are Gentile women. And he finds them, and he talks to them about Jesus. And the woman who is leading this group, her name is Lydia, uh, which is, oddly enough, my wife's name, who's not here this morning. But Lydia is a seller of purple, and apparently she's a fairly wealthy person, so she has a home, and the church begins to worship in her home after she and her whole household are baptized into Jesus Christ. That's the first church in Europe, begun in the home of a woman named Lydia. You know, sometimes, in some parts of Christianity, we have left women out of the equations of leadership. Uh, not felt that the contributions of women were as important as the contributions of men. My personal experience in the church has been that women generally in most American churches contribute far more than the men do. I'm not talking about in the offering plate. I'm talking about in the way they keep the church alive. Most churches have been kept alive by the the women. And so it's it's, it's totally appropriate that it is a woman and other women who have come together to gather that Paul discovers down by that river and begins the church at Philippi. I said earlier that the the theme of this letter is joy. And here you can go through the book and you will find in Philippians 1.4, Paul references the joy of prayer. In Philippians 1.18, the joy that Jesus Christ has preached. Philippians 1.25, the joy of our faith. 
Chapter 2, verse 2, the joy of seeing Christians in fellowship together. And here we're not talking just about uh, getting together for a social event or to watch the Super Bowl uh, together. Uh, Christian fellowship is something far higher than that. It's something where you, you have the knowledge that we are bound together in a way that the world can't bind us together. I tell you, you know, I, I went to one of the playoff games, the play-in game for the playoffs for the Nationals with George Mazingo, and uh, the Nationals, of course, went on through. They won that game. They won enough games to become the World Series champions, and, and people were so excited. And, you know, I went in with him and 42,000 people standing and waving red towels and everything. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. But you know what? Other than George, I didn't know anybody in that crowd. We only had one thing in common. We were hoping our team would win. But I know this. If I was asked this church today, who won the World Series four years ago, five years ago, six years ago? I'd be surprised how many of us would know it. Probably, Maybe none of us could remember those as important as they were at the time, as much, quote, joy as they brought to people. It's fleeting, and it's gone. And we left that stadium that night, and it was, it was, it was great. It was entertaining. But, you know, by the time we back, got back to the car and began to drive back, back home, it was already fading. Christian joy does not fade. Christian joy remains there, even in the darkness. Even when uh, Paul is there in prison in Rome, he talks over and over about joy. I've told you the story about the time I was writing my papers for ordination. And I was down in Florida and I'd taken a month off. And I was down there by myself. I go out to the beach every day and read. Then I go back up and write back and forth, back and forth in my own little little world up there. And one day a man came to clean the carpets. And uh, he was talking to me about what I was doing. I told him I was a preacher and a, you know at this church and I, what I was writing the papers for and all too. And then I began to go on and drone on about, I never droned by the way, I don't know what got into me, but I began to drone on about how difficult it was to be a pastor in today's world. You know, you preached and you preached and you preached and the people, you know, fell asleep and the people, you know, you didn't really see any change and I was just going on and on with this. And he listened and then he said, brother... The word of God is not chained. In other words, I was talking as if I I had no faith that God's word could do miracles. I had no faith that God's word could penetrate, penetrate people's hearts and bring about change and faith. The word of God, he said, is not chained. And you know who originally said that? He was quoting Paul, who was in chains. That the word of God is not chained. And he was reminding me that I should have joy in my ministry. I should have joy in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And no matter what is going on, how I'm interpreting the things around me, that joy should be constant. Now, I'm not talking about an artificial joy where you get up in the morning and you say, this is going to be a great day, and you pump yourself up. I know preachers who before church do that same thing. They have little exercises where they're in their office and they're going around, yeah, you're the greatest. They're looking in the mirror. The people are going to love you, blah, blah, blah. And they do that. I've heard of pre- preachers who do that because they have to get themselves pumped up. So when they get up here, they have a little energy going. You know, they drink 10 coffees. 
You know, they, I don't drink coffee. That's probably my problem. Maybe some Mountain Dew. But, but you, know, they, you know, they just got to get pumped up for it so that they can have some sense, the people have some sense that this person has some joy in them. But that's not what we're talking about. Not that kind of joy. Not, not something artificial, but something that is so deep that, it, that it's always there. Then you had the joy of Christian hospitality. Christian hospitality is a little different from regular hospitality, but I don't have time to get into that. The joy of the person who has been baptized into Christ. Uh, when somebody gets baptized into Christ, my daughter, Dee Dee, out in San Diego now, but when she was uh, 12 years old, she was baptized in a little Methodist church, and she was baptized as part of a confirmation class, and uh, so she was the only one being baptized. The others were professing their faith, but they had been previously baptized as infants. And so uh, uh, she was being baptized. Uh, when, I, when she was born, we weren't Methodists, and so we didn't, didn't have her baptized. At 12, she's baptized. Well, the kids are all up there at the rail, and they're kneeling, and everybody, you know, saying their thing, and it comes to her, and the water goes on her head, and she begins to cry. She begins to weep. She's, I mean, it's loud. You hear her just one of those, <gasps> you know, just going on, and, and, and people are like, what's the matter with Dee Dee? You know, it's... You know, something wrong. She was crying for joy. She was so moved by the feeling of that water coming upon her and what that meant in her relationship with God. And she has maintained a very strong faith in Jesus Christ all the years since. But see, it was something in her that was real. It was something that came out, something real inside of her. So uh, she rejoiced at her baptism. The joy of the person who has won one soul for, for the Lord. If you've ever had somebody who you have talked with and you have prayed for and they come to the Lord, what a tremendous feeling that is. And that shouldn't happen just to, um, I had in my college uh, Bible, I had six different people who I had brought to the Lord. I had their names in there. And, uh, you know, to go back and to look at that, I wasn't a preacher. I wasn't, I wasn't authorized by the church to be doing that. But it was a thing for me of just great uh, thanks to God that I could be part of that. Uh, the joy uh, inherent in every gift when people give you something. Not because of just of its value. It can be just a, ca- a hat from camper's world. But the fact that somebody cares about you. You know, we've built an entire card industry, Hallmark and everything, on the basis of that. But I was reading something this week that said, for Valentine's Day, instead of giving your wife a card, and this would save you a few bucks, why don't you write her a letter? And it gave advice, things to do. And one of the things was kind of start out with a little suspense. And uh, so I, I started out, and I thought, oh, this is fun. But I realized I went upstairs, and she hadn't read it yet. She comes up to the bedroom, and she said, I read your letter. And I said, you know, I was laying here thinking maybe that first part you thought I was leaving you. A little bit too much suspense. Now, it would have been really sad if she'd come up, all, yes, okay, when are you leaving? Here's your bags, you know, go on out. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty intense, you know. I have to confess something to you. I have an addiction and all too. And I wasn't letting on. She gets to the last page. And I said, my addiction is you. And I went through and I said, every, every night when I put my arms around you, you don't know what's going through my head, but I'm thanking God that we've had 50 years together. We've known each other for 50 years now. 
we've had this time to get, and that it wasn't all a dream. It wasn't all a dream. But that first part really hit her. <laughs> she said, I was crying. She said, I was crying that first part. I was like, what's going on? Now, don't tell her I told you all about that. She's not here today, and that, you know, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But the, but the thing was that the joy inherent in every gift, giving a gift like we talked about with the children today, receiving gifts, it's, it's not the value of it, but it's that, it's, it's, it's that joy that somebody cares about you. Uh, it's just a higher emotion than anything else. Now, as we uh, uh, move a little bit more into, our, uh, into these uh, uh, gifts today, they are love and joy and peace, each one of these having a very different sense than how they are commonly used in our language. Kindness and goodness. For instance, kindness here, you hold the door open for somebody and they say, oh, you're so kind. But Christian kindness goes beyond that. The word in the Greek here means something deeper than that. It is the sense that you care for others more than you care for yourselves. That you're always looking out for the good of the other person that rather than always looking out for your own good. That you're willing to put aside to sacrifice, you know, for other people. I tell you the hardest thing for me to sacrifice is time. It's hard to take the time for other people. Because time is fleeting, and I'm, I'm an ADD person. I've got this uh, attention deficit disorder, and, and I'm, I'm always moving, and I've got 50 million things to do, and to take some time and to focus some time on just one person, that's my biggest sacrifice. If I come and I spend time with you, you know that I'm being kind through the Spirit of God because within myself, I don't want to give that sort of thing. But all of these have a different sense uh, fidelity is a word that's sometimes used in the older translations. It means trustworthiness. You can trust that this person is going to be there no matter what. You know, part of the Marine Corps in their Latin, it's uh, uh, fidelis. Uh, and then their semper fidelis is a phrase in Latin. It means always faithful. It's a rare thing in this world of transient uh, jobs and transient uh, people moving back and forth between churches and quitting churches over the simplest little things to find that always faithful person who has the, the fruit of the Spirit in them that says, no matter what, these are my people and I'm going to stick with them. You know, And that really takes the Holy Spirit to be in you to endure what it means sometimes to go through the battles, go through the divisions, go through the disagreements, go through sometimes the ugliness that can happen even in churches. Uh, and then uh, you have gentleness and self-control. Um, I, am, I am a prime example of self-control. I, I have tremendous self-control. Okay. Not. Um, I have to constantly fight battles with the same things many of you fight with. With food. You know, you know. How many of you grew up in a time where you didn't drive down the road and pass six, seven Elevens before you got to your house? You know, remember even the gas stations back in the olden days, they might have that little machine that you pulled the thing out and the cigarettes came down, or the, the or, or maybe some candy or something. But very few opportunities to actually stop and get a snack. And today, it's all around us. Self control is really hard for me in that regard. Um, please pray for me on that. And then finally, I'll go back into our scripture, the specific uh, scripture uh, today. Uh, verse 3, I thank my God every time I rem- remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. There's that word again. Paul's saying, I pray with joy, always pray with joy. 
because of your partnership in the gospel for the first day until now. I tell you, as a pastor, I need to constantly pray with joy. Always pray with joy for the church and the people we have here. I'm I'm sorely aware of the fact that many times pastors look out and all they see are the things that the church is not doing. And I look out and I can see so many faces of people who are doing so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ, so much for other people, that they are filled with God's Spirit and the fruit of His Spirit is in them. Why wouldn't you pray with joy? And here Paul is is hundreds of miles away from these people in a prison, and he is always praying with joy. Why can't we do that? Why can't we pray with joy for each other and be thankful for each other? Then Paul tells us uh, in Philippians also to pray without ceasing, to rejoice in the Lord always. This is this continuous theme. I always pray with joy. And then down towards the end of our passage, he says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Do you get that? Love abounding in knowledge and depth of insight. A little bit further on in Philippians, he's going to say, Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who emptied himself and became a servant to others. So what he's saying is is that your joy and your love will abound when you have that insight as to what it means to be a servant as Jesus Christ was a servant. There are people in this world who have found great joy in allowing God's love to flow through them into other people, to be in what we call service industries. People who make their lives call, their lives call the service of other people. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. And then I'm going to close with this final thing. Just not enough time today. Children's time went too long. Thank you, Bobby. Little Bobby there. He's, uh, I'd love to have him just babysit him for a while. He'd be great. Just going back to that chapter 2 again. If there's any comfort from his love, any encouragement, any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. When a church comes to the point where we fulfill those words of Paul, then you're really a church. When a church comes to that point, when we're loving and serving in the manner of Jesus Christ, then we are truly glorifying God, and we are filled with the fruit of His righteousness. And amen. Gracious and loving Father, we pray this day that we would indeed walk side by side with Your Son, Jesus Christ. That, Father, we would seek the good of each other. That, Father, people would look upon us and say, Behold how... Those Christians love each other. How they allow the fruit of God's Spirit to grow in them. And we pray, Father, as we go forth, that in all things, we would seek to glorify you and your holy name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And amen.